Paul Brand was a medical doctor and a world expert on a disease called Hansen's disease. We know it more commonly as leprosy. Leprosy has been around for a very long time. In fact, we know Jesus spent a lot of his ministry interacting with people who had leprosy. It's a devastating disease, oftentimes causing physical disfigurement, sometimes a rotting away of the skin tissue, sometimes causing blindness. It's also a lonely disease. In many countries, people that have experienced and have leprosy have been kicked out of their homes, ostracized from their community, placed in situations where they have lost human touch and human contact. Dr. Brand dedicated his life and medical career to studying and researching the disease. And here's what he discovered. Leprosy and people with leprosy don't just naturally have bad flesh that rots away by itself. In fact, their skin is oftentimes just as healthy as yours and mine. But what they lack is the ability to feel pain. Leprosy does its damage by attacking a person's nerve endings and pain cells. And so people with leprosy live a virtually pain-free life. Now, ordinarily, living without pain seems like a pretty amazing experience, doesn't it? How many of us would love to live a pain-free life? How many of us try to live a pain-free life, numbing ourselves with all sorts of things to try and take away the pain that we carry, whether that's physical, emotional, mental? And yet it's been said that the absence of pain is the greatest enemy of a person with leprosy. Because without feeling pain, a person with leprosy will often burn themselves cooking over a hot stove because they can't feel it. Or they might be walking and injure their ankle and they'll keep walking on it, damaging muscles and tendons because they can't feel the pain. How many of us consciously think about the 28,000 times a day that our brains and our eyes give us a gentle pain signal to lubricate themselves and to blink. And yet a person with leprosy often won't feel that and will end up going blind. Well, here's the thing. Pain is actually necessary in life. Or to paraphrase the title of Dr. Brand's book, pain is the gift nobody wants. Well, that's what we're gonna explore today as we wrap up our series on frail faith. And over the last number of weeks, we've been exploring different stories in the Bible that talk about different realities and struggles we can all face in life and in faith, like doubt, fear, silence, and now today, the reality of pain and suffering. Walking through these experiences can make our faith feel so frail, and yet there is something beautiful that we can experience, that God can meet us precisely in that pain. And that somehow, as hard as it might be to imagine, it can actually become a gift to us. Suffering is a part of our human story. Everywhere we look in our world, we see pain and suffering at work. Injustices, war, hunger, broken relationships, grief, loss. The very definition of suffering is a state of pain, distress, and hardship. And it can be experienced in all sorts of ways, whether that's physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. There's a lot of suffering out there. 
But I know there are also many of us sitting right here, right now, who are experiencing pain and suffering. It's been part of my own experience and story, especially over the last number of months. Some of you might be aware of the amount of grief and loss that our family has walked through in the past year. With the passing of my dad, with the murder of a family friend, with navigating some significant and traumatic mental health experiences with a family member. And it's been a lot. And quite honestly, it's been overwhelming and disorienting. I've cried a lot more than at any point in my life. I've had a lot of questions, a lot of struggles, a lot of doubts, and that's why the words frail faith resonate so much with me. But as difficult as these last number of months have been, I'm also learning a lot about myself, about my faith, about God. And somehow, I'm somehow growing in and through it. Maybe even beginning to recognize just a glimpse of the gift that pain can bring into our lives. So we're gonna jump into the biblical story for today and to see how God can actually work in and through the suffering and the pain that we experience in our lives. Probably not a surprise that we're gonna to go to the book of Job. He's kind of the poster boy for suffering, isn't he? Job is most likely the earliest book written in the Bible which tells us that pain and suffering have been around for a very, very long time. Job's story covers and is covered over 42 chapters. And obviously we can't go into detail, but the story is best summarized in the question, can faith survive the worst suffering imaginable? Can faith survive the worst suffering imaginable? Job is this once prosperous man who has a strong faith in God. He's a person who walks with integrity. And yet in rapid succession, he walks through every imaginable loss and grief that you can think of. Pain and death and economic ruin and health. And that's just chapters one and two. And Job's left with a lot of questions which cover the next 35 chapters. And so this morning, I only want to zero in on two questions, but I think that they're the ones that come up the most when we talk about suffering. Here they are. Why and where are you, God? Job asks God the question why 25 times, which is totally understandable. Here's just one of them. Why did you bring me out of the womb? I wish I had died before any eye saw me. That's a brutally honest and raw question, isn't it? God, why did you give me life? Why did you allow me to be born only to now allow me to walk and to experience suffering? The why question to suffering is probably the biggest question that we ask, isn't it? All the major religions have tried to answer it. Theologians and philosophers have tried to explain it. Why is such a primal, gut-wrenching question in the face of pain and suffering? Why? How come this is happening to me? Why am I experiencing this? Why me? Is there meaning and purpose to what I'm going through in life? God, don't you care? 
The why question is asked over and over again. Every time a tragedy hits, every time we experience loss and grief and pain, maybe you're even asking that question yourself today. I know I've certainly been asking it a lot myself. I want to know why what we've had to go through in the past number of months, why we've had to go through so much pain. I want to know what the purpose to all of this can serve. Why did it have to happen this way? Why couldn't it have happened a different way? But here's the thing. Throughout the entire story, God doesn't answer Job the way he wants him to or expects him to. And in fact, when we pull back and we look at the entire biblical story, we see that most often God does not give a clear black and white bottom line answer to the question of why. At least not an answer that would satisfy us. And that can make it super uncomfortable for us. So let me pause here and name that uncomfortableness and silence. It's okay to admit and to say sometimes there are reasons and explanations that just won't come. Sometimes we're not gonna know why we're going through it and it's okay to sit in the tension and the awkwardness and the uncomfortableness that that brings to us. But here's what we do know. Even though Job is never given an answer and a direct answer to why, God instead points him to a different reality of a God who sees the entire story and picture even when we can't. Job asks God why 25 times. God turns it around and asks Job 77 questions. Questions like these. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Just to lighten the mood a bit, this is one of my favorites. Can you catch a crocodile with a hook and line? Can you make a pet of him like a bird or give him to your little girls to play with? Did you know that was actually in the Bible? God's basically saying, you haven't been around since the beginning. You can't see what I see. You can't see the story that I'm writing. You can't see how all of these moving pieces are working and coming together because your perspective is limited and frail. And so in some ways, the why question stays unanswered in mystery. But I think it's the second question that unlocks everything. And Job keeps asking the question, God, where are you? Job 23, if only I knew where to find God, I would go to his court. I would lay out my case and present my arguments and I would listen to his reply and understand what he says to me. But I go east and he's not there. I go west, I can't find him. I don't see him in the north for he's hidden. I look to the south, but he's concealed. It's a question we all ask at some point in our lives. God, where are you? God, I'm walking through all of this pain and loss and suffering. I can't feel you. I can't see you. Why won't you just show up? Why won't you just be present and be here? Well, here's the beautiful part. That is a question 
God will answer. In fact, he already has answered it. God may not give us an answer to why, but he will certainly answer our question, God, where are you? Because it's found in Jesus. Jesus stepping into our world. Jesus taking on human skin, human flesh, walking and experiencing our human story of grief and loss and pain and all the things that we carry, all the things that we walk through in life. He's kneeling there in the blood and sweat and tears and the messiness of our broken lives. As someone has said, it's God making the first move towards us. Or in the words of German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, only a suffering God can help. In what may be the key verse in the book of Job, Job says this, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. Although Job couldn't have known that those words would be fulfilled in Jesus, he declares by faith the reality of a God who is right here, right now, present with us. Not someone sitting on the sidelines, not someone who is unapproachable in this mystery. You might be familiar with the story of Jane Martsuski, a singer known as Nightbird. Jane appeared on America's Got Talent in 2021, where she received a golden buzzer for her original song called It's Okay. During her audition, Jane shared a bit of her story. It included a terminal cancer diagnosis and then a gut-wrenching divorce soon after. Her blog fills in a lot more of her journey, and if you ever get a chance to Google it, to read it, uh, I would encourage you to do so. Her writings are so profound, so inspiring. Sadly, Jane passed away earlier this year, but she's left this incredible legacy for our world through her Christian faith, her writing, and her songs. And I want you to listen to something that she wrote a couple years ago because it speaks to this reality of a God who knows our pain, who meets us in our pain, and who redeems our pain. It's called Bald Girl in the Dark. Jane writes, there's a Jamaican woman I know with rivers on her face who tells the story of God. In the very beginning, there was a vast and damp emptiness. The world was without form and void, only darkness in every direction. Sounds a lot like my world, maybe like yours. My whole world was about to lose form. On New Year's, I was diagnosed with terminal cancer, innumerable tumors found throughout my lungs, liver, lymph nodes, ribs, and spine. I was on the living room floor, leaning over the report, head in my hands, six months to live, 2% chance of survival. I was a stranger in my body, far from home, cradling my own bones. I was a bald girl in the dark. I wrote a prayer that night. Oh, great writer of stories, do you have space somewhere for a girl like me? A line from my favorite poem says this, there will be days like this, my mama said, when you open your hands to catch and wind up with only blisters and bruises, when your boots fill with rain and you'll be up to your knees in disappointment, and those are the very days you have all the more reason to say thank you, because there's nothing 
more beautiful than the way the ocean refuses to stop kissing the shoreline, no matter how many times it is sent away. Jane goes on to write, I haven't come as far as I'd like in understanding the things that have happened this year. But here's one thing I do know. When it comes to pain, God isn't often in the business of taking it away. Instead, he adds to it. He is more of a giver than a taker. He doesn't take away my darkness. He adds light. He doesn't spare me of thirst. He brings water. He doesn't cure my loneliness. He comes nearer. So why do we believe that when we are in pain, it must mean God is far? In the beginning, there was immense, immeasurable emptiness, but God was drawn to it like a fog to the sea. He stretched out his spirit over the void and he stayed. If the stories I've heard of him are true, surely he is nearest of all to me, to us. You see, the creator is still here where he has always been hovering over the darkness. I'm still reeling, drenched in sorrow. I'm still begging, bargaining, demanding, disappearing. And I guess that means I have all the more reason to say thank you because God is drawing near to me again, again, again. God may not answer our why, but he will walk with us through our pain and our sufferings and doubts and fears because God is present even in and especially in our frail faith. It is love in action. When you get towards the end of the New Testament, here's what we're told about Job's story. Book of James says, we give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. It is Jesus' love and presence that walks with us through our suffering and our pain. I want to spend our remaining time sharing some lessons I'm learning in my own journey as I navigate pain and suffering. And honestly, I'm just trying to find my own way in this. I wish I could go back and change the situations and the circumstances that our family has had to walk through. I wish I could go back and change that. I wish I could go back and change situations and circumstances that you find yourself walking in right now. But even though I can't and we can't change that, I am finding myself becoming more grateful for the ways I'm changing and growing, even in the midst of such a challenging and difficult and dark season. In her book, Grateful, Diana Butler Bass shares an experience from the beautiful life of Nobel Peace Prize laureate, Elie Wiesel. Wiesel spent time in a German concentration camp and regarding his experiences of just tremendous, horrific suffering and pain, Bass writes, Wiesel was not thankful for the Holocaust. He would have rather had the Holocaust not happen. But Wiesel said that when they were in the camps, it was the people who could get up in the morning and see the sunshine and say, thank God I'm alive for one more day. Or the people who could look out and say, wow, that's a beautiful cloud out there. It was those people who were more able to carry on. 
It was those people who could see through the evil and suffering and find that there is a moment of grace or the presence of wonder or a token of love, even in the most horrible of situations and circumstances. Bass concludes, we should never be grateful for suffering, but the truth is we can be grateful through suffering. And that little prepositional switch, that's where the empowerment comes. I think that's what Dr. Brown meant when he said that pain can actually be a gift in our lives. Pain is allowing me to become aware of where I'm at in life right now, but it's also letting me become transformed in the process. I find that I'm starting to let go of my own expectations and my insatiable need for clarity and for answers. I'm being invited towards a new level of trust and faith, one that is rooted not in an answer, but in the person and presence of Jesus. I'm learning to live in the rawness and beauty of this present moment. Pain and suffering has a way of doing that to you. And yet there is something so profound and healing when you are grounded in this moment. I find myself these days acknowledging and naming the grief and loss and the pain as it starts to bubble up in me as waves come and hit. I'll say this, I'm not afraid to hide it anymore, not afraid to minimize it, but to be in that moment. I'm grateful for the friends who are walking alongside of us, who are praying for us, who are helping us bring it to Jesus. Finally, I'm starting to lean into hope. To know that Jesus is present with me regardless if I can see it or feel it. And it is that hope that makes all the difference. I'm gonna ask John and the team if they would come back. They're gonna lead us in a response song. But as they do, I want to wrap things up with a quote from one of my favorite authors, Nadia Boltzweber. And her writings have really been life-giving and healing to me, especially over this last year. I want to read it, but I want to more so pray it over you and your situation and circumstances in life today. And so in that posture, you can close your eyes or just lean into the words that are spoken here today. This is my prayer. I want a gritty hope, a hope that can only come from a God who has experienced birth and love and friendship and lepers and prostitutes and betrayal and suffering and death and burial and a descent into hell itself. This is our God, a God who weeps, a God who suffers not only for us, but with us. Nowhere is the presence of God amidst suffering more salient than on the cross. Therefore, what can I do but confess that this is not a God who causes suffering. This is a God who bears suffering. I need to believe that God does not initiate suffering. God transforms it. And I believe that faith in this kind of God doesn't produce cheerful optimism. It produces a gritty, defiant hope that God is still writing the story and that despite the darkness, a light still shines and that God can redeem us 
and that beauty matters and that despite every disappointing thing we have ever done or that we have ever endured, that there is no hell from which resurrection is not impossible. To borrow from Bruce Coburn, this kind of faith is one that kicks at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. In the midst of pain and suffering, in the midst of frail faith, I need to make a decision every single day to defiantly lean into the hope and the love and the resurrection power and life of Jesus. I believe that's Jesus' invitation for you and me here today.